The opinions expressed on this podcast are those of Darren Coleman and Elena Hansen and are for general information purposes only. It does not constitute any legally binding engagement between the podcasters and anyone else. Always check with your advisors to obtain your tax and your investment advice. Welcome to Two-Way Traffic with Darren Coleman and Elena Hansen, the cross-border podcast series. On each episode, we aim to guide you through the complexities, complications, implications, and advantages of having money and family on both sides of the border. Today, Elena and Darren talk about the many complexities that business owners and their employees face with movement from one side of the Canadian-U.S. border to the other. So hi, everyone. Thank you very much for coming back. My name is Darren Coleman. I'm a Senior Vice President and Portfolio Manager with Raymond James in Toronto, and we have a specialty in working with people of money and family on both sides of the border. And I'm joined today by... Elena Hansen, Owner and Managing Director of Hansen Cross Border Tax, an accounting and tax firm which specializes in clients with dual taxation reporting obligations. Fantastic. And last time we got together, we talked about the mobility and the concept of domicile and issues as people move back and forth. Today, we're going to turn that a little bit and we're going to talk about some of the unique elements of cross-border complexity for business owners. So this can be uh, businesses, it could be big business moving staff around, but we also work a lot with owner operators. We have owner manager businesses and some of the unique, uh, as I say, complexities the border introduces for them. So one of the things that I thought we could begin with, bridging from our last conversation about mobility is uh, an issue that many business owners have, which is just moving talent hiring people that may be in the United States coming to Canada or vice versa, Canadians going to the U.S. So what are some of the first things that you consider or you you catch when you have a business owner who's moving uh, uh, an employee from one country to the other, Elaine? Yes, uh, talent is a scarce resource in both countries. The first thing we, we want to know, what's, what's the intention of the business owner? Are those uh, folks uh, going to be uh, coming to Canada or the U.S. temporarily, or they are going to be a permanent assignees? Because the taxation uh, rules and requirements, whether with respect to income taxes, or social security taxes are quite different. Okay, so when you talk about the intent of them, is it is there a difference from your perspective or from the taxpayer's perspective if they're here on a contract basis for a period of time or if they're here planning to be permanently or five years? How does the time that they think they're going to be here impact what their taxation is going to be? Right, so if they're coming here just, you know, for a short-term period, uh, we're talking about a few months, and they still retain ties to their home country and they're on the home country uh, payroll uh, for income taxes and social security taxes, then, you know, the employer will be obligated only for, uh, to, for their taxation for the days they are in Canada. Uh, ultimately, they're going to be liable for uh, uh, income taxes uh, on, on that particular income to, to the host country. But uh, they're going to be taxed on a worldwide basis in their home country. If, however, employees are moving to host country on a more permanent basis, you know, not ultimately retire here, but at least, you know, in the foreseeable future, that's like that. right, they're planning to work uh, in the host country. They're improving themselves, they're bringing family, then they become tax residents of the host country and they are liable for their worldwide taxation in that host country. And if they are U.S. citizens, they will retain their U.S. tax obligations also to the U.S. government. Right. So that sometimes surprises people in that they may move to Canada and they think 
I only have to file Canadian taxes, I'm in Canada. But if they're a U.S. person, their tax filing and their tax reporting obligation follows them no matter where they go. Right? Yes, that's right, Darren. And, and the reason being because Americans are taxed on a worldwide basis based on citizenship in addition to residency, right? But the other way isn't necessarily the case. So we could have a situation where a Canadian employee is going down to work for a U.S. employer. And they could, in theory, if they do it properly, they could be beyond the taxation of Canada if they change their residency, right? That is correct, because technically under the income tax treaty between Canada and the U.S., you cannot be a resident of both countries. Mm -hmm. So you, you need to be a resident of just one country. And the residency is defined uh, where you have stronger ties. So if we're dealing with Canadians who are moving to the States uh, to, to fulfill their employment obligations, and they cease their ties with Canada, such as they no longer have a permanent home because they rented it out or sold, and uh, they're moving their family to the States, and their employment is going to be on the U.S. soil. So technically, they're, they're ceasing ties with Canada, and they don't have annual uh, reporting and taxation to Canada unless they have very limited uh, type of income they derive from Canada, and then they're only going to be taxed on that income. Right. So, so the American coming to Canada will still do taxes in the U.S., and taxes in Canada. Mm -hmm. The Canadian may be able to stop doing taxes in Canada because our system is different, but they will have it in the U.S., but it all depends what you call it's interesting because this idea of what your ties are is is important right because it's not just that you say you're somewhere they do look at the evidence of they do. where's your home where's your driver's license where's your banking they do look have a list of things they, they, they do and many many clients you know they want to decouple like they want to cut ties with canada despite of their family remains in canada and that's not quite correct i mean that may uh, work in very limited circumstances i have clients asking me listen you know I am going to be paying tax at 15% if I've moved to Florida or Texas, and here I'm subject to 40% taxation, but I need my wife and my kids to stay in Canada because of the school and, and wife's mm -hmm. work. Like, you know, how can we approach this? And again, in the majority situations, because the family remains in Canada, that family going to bring that taxpayer back to Canada That's right. for tax purposes. Right. So, so as if the taxpayer re still retains Canadian residency. And in the states just a temporary on a temporary basis right and where they wind up having to file tax returns is complicated one thing we see a lot of on the wealth management side are people who have their retirement plans that are often tied to their employment get all jumbled up so it's very common where someone's coming from the united states to canada they've got 401ks and iras from employers in the united states and we also see the reverse people in canada going to the us they have their own canadian retirement plans pension plans and so on one thing that often happens is that financial institutions will no longer do business with someone as soon as they moved out of the country because the financial institution has to be registered under the securities and compliance rules where the person is living. So we often see situations where an employee's moved from the United States to Canada, they change their address with their investment firm in the US, and then they get a letter a little while later saying, oh, you're now in Canada, we can no longer do business with you. And in some cases they're told, we're actually gonna send you a check for all of the proceeds of your retirement plan, less all the taxes and penalties. And that tends to alarm people. So one thing that sometimes that we've worked on, because uh, we do a number of engagements with recruiters that are actually helping employers and staff move around, and we like to let them know that this issue is going to come so that they can get ahead of it. Because it's, uh, it's a very tricky thing when the employer has moved a staff member, they've done the search, they found the talent, they convinced them to come to Canada, they're moving their family, they're moving their home, they're moving the dog, they're moving the kids, and they think everything's smooth, and then suddenly, oh, um, they're gonna blow up your retirement accounts. What? 
So they don't usually see that one coming. So we like to get ahead of all those issues so that when people come, there's no surprises. So that's something that we tend to see a lot of. And then we have to navigate them through how they can protect and retain those accounts. Even though the financial institution may be telling them to go away, they need to know where they can go. So we often can fix that. One thing I wanted to move from from the employer is now talk about the shareholder, the owner of the business. Because quite often we see situations where someone has established a business in Canada, they've been running a business in Canada, but someone in the family is American. And it could be the spouse, it could be themselves. So as the business owner, what does the border do to them? What complexity do they have as an owner of the company and owner of the shares? Well, it, it makes their life very complicated. And it's gotten much more complicated <laughs> the last year or two, hasn't it? You know, it's, it's hard enough to be tax uh, compliant on both sides of the border when you are an employee, you know, with a family and yes. stuff like that. I'm, I'm, I'm referring to Americans in Canada. Right. But once, once you, you, you run business, all of a sudden you have to be responsible for now two tax, taxpayers, right? For yourself personally and your business yes. on both sides of the border. Right. And when it comes to U.S. citizens with businesses in Canada, unfortunately, the rules are completely misaligned uh, in terms of how uh, the corporate earnings are taxed. And uh, that became even more so with the recent reform uh, tax job. Mm -hmm. uh, Cuts and Jobs Act, that's right, of 2017. What happens is that under U.S. domestic law, corporate profits uh, are taxed in the corporation and then they're retained in the corporation until they're paid out to shareholders in the form of a dividend. Right. Right. So if you're an American in the States, you have a, a C corporation. You know, uh, if you if you don't want a dividends to collect from the corporation, you know, you just keep your your profits in the corporation and reinvest into business or whatever whatever yes. you know, your needs corporate needs are. So when you are an American and you run your business through a corporate format. Uh, there is no longer a deferral opportunity when, when it comes to corporation-shareholder relationship. So basically, when a foreign corporation, such as Canadian corporation, generates profits, it pays taxes on those profits to the uh, Canadian government. From the U.S. perspective, those corporate profits are viewed as if they generated by the shareholder directly. So you've got a different tax structure that's going to wind up with that person potentially paying tw tax twice on the you, same dollar. That's right? right. You have a mismatch who actually earns those profits. Right. You know, under Canadian domestic law, they're generated by a separate corporation. Under U.S. domestic law, when it comes to foreign corporations, uh, those profits are generated directly uh, by the shareholders. Right. So that creates, in essence, double taxation. Right. Right. Because the shareholder is going to receive it, the company is going to be taxed, then the individual is going to be taxed. Correct. And then the individual goes to take the money out of the corporation at some point in the future and they're taxed again on no, it. No, they won't be taxed true? again. So there's a timing difference. I see. Okay. Right? But they're going to pull those corporate profits. They're going to be taxed on the Canadian side. That's what I'm getting at. Yeah. So there's right? all these ways that yeah. that same dollar is going to attract taxation because of this mismatch. Right. One of the other things that comes up with business owners is this idea of being a PFIC. Right. So a private foreign investment corporation. So you can have a Canadian business owner. One spouse has a share of it and they're an American. What additional filing obligations come about? Because this is a very uh, surprising thing for many Canadian tax filers, uh, what this obligation is. Right. You know, I, I have clients who, who would contact me or prospects and say, hey, you know, we, we will properly set up, uh, you know, because we don't have, I'm a U.S. citizen and me and my husband have a company 
and uh, you know I'm not a majority shareholder. He is. Yes. And we're saying, well, that's fine. You're not considered a controlled foreign corporation or CFC from the U.S. perspective. Okay. But uh, you know, because your company meets certain criteria, you would be considered as a shareholder of a PFIC. Mm-hmm. which is a foreign investment company. And, uh, you know, again, when you think about investment company, you think about, you know, interest, dividends, stuff like That's that. That's right. But They're in reality, about, no, no. It's any company. It's company which me- meets uh, certain tests. And, and the, the, but those tests sell, are... But they can sell carpet. It could be a dry cleaner. It could be a that pizza is correct. parlor. Or, or being consulting business. Consulting, or, yeah, absolutely. Or um, IT, Right. Right. And, yeah, um, you're right. The word investment. That's right. Totally misleading. It's yeah. totally misleading. You know, it, it, it's it's not reflecting the reality. And so when you're PFIC, it's it's actually even, you know, it may be worse than if it's a CFC. Because in the PFIC situation, unless you made certain timely election, you're going to be taxed at the top marginal rate. And you're going to be subject to interest, uh, underpayment interest, which is compounded daily. So it's very compounded pop- daily. Compounded daily. Wow, it's like money mark. <laughs> That's just it. So, so it's very feasible that your tax obligations uh, can actually exceed your distributions from the corporation. Wow, wow. So we've got a number of things that affect the business owner. And I want to go back for a minute mm-hmm. to the Trump's tax reform, because there was a specific issue in there around this transition tax that caught many, many people off guard because they had to file it before anybody really even understood it or if it applied to them. So take us a little bit through what the last year and a half, two years have been like with respect to this transition tax that was very specific to Canadian businesses that had a U.S. tax owner. It was very frantic. It was uh, not a fun time for both taxpayers and accountants. Uh, So the law was enacted on December 22nd, 2017. The tax was due either... So right before Christmas, isn't it? Just before Christmas, that's right. And, um, you know, but but that's what typically is happening. U.S. laws always enacted, you know, because we just had a secure 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 budget, which came out December 20th, right? But um, so what happened is that the, the law was enacted on December 22nd, 2017. The tax was due on um, April 15th of 2018, and the form supporting the computation of that tax showed up in, in January of 2019. <laughs> okay. So you had so, to figure out the tax before they gave you the form right. to figure out the tax. That, that's right. Only the government would create that, That's right. right. And so when the law came out, we didn't have any guidance. The guidance was coming out in, in, in chunks, not even in rulings. It was more in administrative guidances. So how much it was binding, that's a different story. But nevertheless, the tax was absolutely brutal. So what it entailed, it was imposed at roughly 15.5% on accumulated corporate earnings since 86 or whenever corporation, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, that's correct. And, you know, from both U.S. and Canadian uh, perspectives, like it, it was confiscatory because mm-hmm. many, many Canadian small business owners, uh, they don't have pensions. That's right? right. So their corporations was basically the way they were going to fund their retirement that, that plan is, held that, their capital. That is right. But with this transition tax, uh, that plan actually, there were a few planning options available how, you know, that tax um, could have been mitigated. Right. Uh, but, but they're not ultimate, you know, they were not uh, perfect. And uh, in terms of the 
compliance uh, because, again, uh, accountants were also a hostage there by the government because they didn't know what to do. So for some taxpayers, uh, you know, the returns were done three or four times, right? Because every time we have a a major, major, you know, proposed regulations or final regulations or the form, like the tax was computed manually because we had no forms. There's no software. So it just took took hours and hours to to make sure that, you know, clients uh, are coming out with payments and then they're coming out with final forms. So, you know, very poorly planned. Uh, I would say, you know, it's offensive. Now, what's interesting to me is the fact that you as a, as a professional, highly skilled, very experienced person doing Canada-U.S. cross-border tax, you were surprised and, and found it very difficult. I wonder how many people who did not have uh, a, a practitioner that was fully aware of these things, they may have had a domestic only. I wonder how many of them walk around not even knowing they have these problems still. You, you, you're right. We do get clients who are delinquent, uh, who are on the fence, you know, Americans, incidental Americans or, you know, or other categories, uh, on the fence whether they need to come forward now into the system under FATCA. Uh, you know, we, we do get those clients and uh, we discover that there's actually transition tax, but now that tax is a year and a half uh, overdue. That's right. Uh, and uh, there are substantial penalties for uh, non-timely filing and payment. Uh, so it's, it's always a tough discussion to bring up. Yeah, we had a situation that was uh, not directly a cross-border one, but it became one. So we do a lot of work doing individual pension plans uh, for business owners, which is basically supersizing the RSP. Uh, So an actuary that we do a lot of work with referred a client to us because their wealth advisor had never done an IPP before. So they thought we shouldn't really go with someone who is uh, experimenting. So uh, the actuary asked the client to talk with us because we've done lots and lots of them. And in the conversation, we always ask, is anybody an American, is anyone a U.S. tax filer? Uh, And it was a husband and wife that owned the business. And the wife kind of giggled and said, well, I'm an American, but not really. And I said, well, what does that mean? Because I do hear that. And she's like, well, I was born in the United States, but I'm not American. I don't feel I, like I don't an American. feel like it. I've always lived in Canada, so I'm not really American. I'm like, well, that's nice that you think that, but the facts are the American government and their tax people are going to have a different interpretation. So I said, let's actually put the conversation about setting up this pension plan on hold because you have a corporation, you are a shareholder, you are a PFIC, you probably haven't done any of the reporting connected with that, and by the way, did you ever calculate your transition tax and pay it? And they said, what are you talking about? I said, okay, well, you're actually behind on paying that amount to the government, you are delinquent, and when was the last time you crossed the border? And they said, well, we haven't for a while. I said, I recommend you do not. Because from the American's perspective, you've not only not paid your taxes, maybe you're evading them. So I don't know what the penalty might be, but unless you want to risk being taken away in cuffs, you may want to talk to someone to figure this out. So unfortunately, I had to be the bearer of that bad Mm -hmm, news mm -hmm. that... Uh, what they wanted to do about the pension plan was not nearly as important as sure. getting on side with all of the tax reporting. And she never filed the U.S. tax return ever. So uh, they never called me back, actually. <laughs> I was the messenger of bad news. Um, but some people do take the ostrich theory they or do. the ostrich strategy, put their head in the sand and hope it goes away. Uh, but it doesn't go away, no, does it? No, it won't. No, they, they, and in fact, you know, now when they're familiar with their tax obligations, they are you know, they need to come forward because they, they, they're actually uh, creating fraud. 
That's right. right. So before, you know, you, you can take a position that they're legally blind, you know, they're, they're no negligent. Uh, know, and now they're willfully avoiding the obligations. Right. And I, I would imagine that for many business owners that if somebody is a U.S. tax filer, I wonder how many of them don't actually have any awareness that some of these issues are actually attached to them. Right, like that business owner, they had no clue because no one had asked them the question. I guess their existing accountant didn't bother asking about tax status. They probably ought to have, but they didn't. And we do see these things that come up because as we talked about when the when the transition tax and everything comes, these things change sometimes very quickly they, and without any notice. They do. Right? You know, our, our company uh, does a lot of investment into knowledge. And uh, when the transition, oh, uh, you know, tax reform uh, came out, right. uh, we, we spent just hours and hours pouring over the, you know, regs and, and guidances and stuff like that. So you really need to make sure that you're staying on top. And that's, that's a concern about other practitioners who may don't have enough uh, resources. Because uh, you have to, to stay on to top of both as systems, much. That's correct. you know, that, what Canada's that, doing right. and what the U.S. is doing that's and what happens right. in between. Well, that is correct, because, I mean, ultimately what we're, what we're doing, in addition to making sure that clients are compliant, we're optimizing their tax position, right? Right, tax situation. between the two. That's between right. the two. Okay, so lots to unpack there. So I'm going to close it out there. We're at our 20-minute limit that we uh, guarantee the listener. So Time thank you for by, right? It always does. Thank you all for staying tuned and listening. Elena, thank you for that. And uh, we're going to come back on our next episode, and we're going to talk about snowbirds. All right. Very yeah. Canadian. Looking forward to, to it. All right, thank you all very much for listening. We'll see you again. This has been Two-Way Traffic with Darren Coleman and Elena Hansen. This cross-border podcast series is a production of the Acme Podcasting Company.